I'm Kim Grinnells of DogVan.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Anytime we think it's slow, something always happens, and something it did indeed happen with Kalen DeBoer getting his contract extension. Rumors floating out early in the day that he was the target of Nebraska, and uh, you know started reaching out to find out, didn't hear much, and boy, it didn't take long. And we got a notification of a contract extension. Chris, surprising at all? The timing, no. I, I think the timing of it made total sense, especially given I think this this time every single year, I think from now on, given just how important good coaches are to making sure that you are a have in this kind of world of the haves and have nots in college football, you've got to make sure that you've got a, a coach that's a, a winner and a guy that's that's obviously a value add to your program and Kalen DeBoer at, at nine and two so far in his first season. Uh, potentially could go 10 and two. I, I mean, just the idea that he could potentially go 10 and two in the regular season is mind boggling to me still, even though we've had a week to think about it. And um, yeah, I just think that uh, it makes a lot of sense. It, yeah. it ties him down and, and certainly it, it's still even a, a pretty good deal on Washington's end. Um, but there are some things that uh, give DeBoer even some more, comfort and some more security um, with some of these things that I hadn't really seen in other contracts with head coaches at Washington before. We, so it's it was interesting to kind of go through it and see uh, see what the differences were. And Scott, you talk to recruits all the time, and typically when guys' names are being floated, and there hasn't been a lot of time this year, but had you heard any concerns? Because I know the opposing coaches like to float that out there, that the coach may be leaving. Had you heard anything, rumors about – people recruiting saying DeBoer was going to be leaving? No, I had not. Um, I, the, the thing that was, I, I just, I, I looked at that and I was just like, no, that's just people floating names that he, uh, Kalen DeBoer is, even though he's a Midwest guy, he, he loves the West coast and his and his wife loves the West coast. His daughter's already committed to the university of Washington softball team. Now that could change. Obviously she's only a junior this year. So, there would still be time. I mean, that isn't holding him here or anything like that, but he loves it here. Um, he, he loves the school. He loves the support of the program. I think he also likes the way things are done here. Um, and back there at, at Nebraska, I think he would, there's a lot of, a lot more pressure, as much pressure as there is to win at Washington, there's much more pressure to live or to win at Nebraska. I mean, Scott, Scott Frost was a hero there and he got ousted in what, two years, three years, whatever yeah. it was that he, when he was there. So, I mean, Caleb, you got to win right away at Nebraska or they're going to get rid of you and move on to the next one. And I, I, I think Kalen DeBoer kind of likes the stability of being in a place that, that like Washington. And Chris, I go back to his opening press conference and you were there. And when somebody asked, it was Larry Stone who asked him about staying here a while. And he'd mentioned, I think he'd been at Sioux Falls for six years and then it was five jobs in 10 years. And um, when Larry asked him if this was going to be something, you know, where he was going to be here for a while, Kalen just looked right at him and said, look at my family. They're all shaking their head. He goes, moving has been hard. And I think that he sees this as he can plant his roots. He knows he's going to be here for a while and plan and you know, it's uh, and as much as we've gotten to know Kalen, he just doesn't seem like a guy who wants to job hop anymore. He sounds like he just wants to put down some roots and enjoy the place for a while, Chris. Yeah, I, I get that sense for sure. If you look at the last handful of years, you know, last five, six years, what have you. I mean, he went from Fresno back to Indiana, 
back to Fresno and then to Washington. It uh, you know he's been kind of jumping between the Midwest and the and the West Coast for a you know, number of years now, and I'm sure that that gets that that's got to get a bit uh, you know tiresome at the end of the day, especially when you have an opportunity to coach at a premier program, a program where you can really create a culture here that can win championships and not just regional championships, not even just conference championships, but, you know, potentially national championships because it has been done at Washington before. Um, it's not easy. This, there's a lot of real difficulties in trying to win uh, at that level in the Northwest in general. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if there's a place where you can do it on the West Coast and it's not in L.A., it's in Seattle. And Scott, it's you're the, proven. Scott, you're the one who's moved most recently. Can you imagine moving with a guy like Kalen DeBoer with I think he's got three kids. Can you imagine moving five times in 10 years? Can you imagine? No, that? no, not at all. And I, there, I'm, there's no way I would do it. It, it just it's impossible. And I mean, think about this, too. I mean, Kalen DeBoer has a lot given to him as far as uh, moving expenses and and as much help as possible. And his wife stayed down in California with the kids while he came up and coached during the spring and everything like that. And he, I, I remember him talking about how the, what was it like six coaches were living together in a yeah. house because yeah. they, they all kind of move And it. But I mean, when you take a job like what, what he's, you know, uh, in a profession like he's taking you, the expectation is you're going to be moving every three to four years at the, at the longest typically. And, and, um, but five, five times in, in 10 years, man, that is, that's, that is brutal. His so, kids, his, yeah. the age of his kids, he's got one that's a junior in high school. And then two others seem to be around that 10, 12 years they're, old. They're late elementary. Yeah. Late elementary. Yeah. Yeah, it just seems like, you know, up, uprooting them. I know that I had to change schools when I was in junior high school, and it sucked. I mean, it really sucked. Um, yep. it, and then um, having to find new schools for the kids, his daughter's an athlete, finding a new program for her, and doing that every couple of years, you're really uprooting your kids. And Kalen just seems like um, he's a different cat, Chris. He's not anything like Steve Sarkeesian. He's not one of these that's always got his eye on the next job. I think this is his next job. And uh, I, I, when you talk to him, he sure seems like a guy where this is going to be his last job. Yeah. I mean, the, the similarities to Chris Peterson continue to build in terms of, you know, trying to find the work-life balance, trying to find that, that place where you can, you know, can really grow and yet still, you know, feel like you can be creative and, and you don't feel like you're stuck at the same place. Um, you know, there, there's there's a lot of similarities there between Coach Pete and, and what Kalen's doing. And ironically enough, that's, uh, you know, Kalen invited Coach Pete to uh, to talk to the team this week before the Apple Cup. So um, clearly there's a connection there. Um, I don't I don't know if DeBoer strikes me as the kind of coach that's going to have maybe that internal <laughs> dynamic where Pete clearly had to make a life change because he didn't feel like his work-life balance was, was, uh, was where it needed to be. I don't, I don't know if he's going to go that direction. It seems to me, I don't, I wouldn't say he's a, a football college football lifer, but it seems to me that DeBoer could certainly be at Washington longer than coach Pete and coach Pete was there for, from 2014 through 2019. So, um, or two, was it 2018, 19? I can't remember now, but he, uh, um, 
you know, but he, he just has that kind of aura about him where, um, you know, he wants to build the program. He wants to do it the right way. I, I remember, and Kim, you'll remember too, that, you know, in recruiting circles, it was always really important that a coach was on an evergreen kind of uh uh, uh, always like a five-year contract. And so they would always roll over that extra year so that when coaches went into living rooms and were talking to players and parents that he could say he was going to be there as long as the, as the kid was going to be there. Now that, that doesn't mean all that much anymore with NIL and, and free transfers and, and guys go into the NFL after three years, the, these things have all kind of changed a little bit. But there's no doubt, and going back to what Scott said, I mean, it can have recruiting implications. And, um, you know, we're seeing, we're starting to get into that point of the season when you're almost almost literally a month away from the first day of the, of the mid-year signing period where there's a ton of guys looking at other places, starting to take official visits that were maybe committed to other schools. So this is where it's really, really important to lock down the head coach so he can go into a living room and tell those uh, parents and those players exactly what's going on. You talked about the timing. It's not surprising to me that the same day that DeBoer gets locked down at Washington, Lance Leopold gets locked down at Kansas. And he was another guy that was getting tied to Nebraska. Well, I think another thing that's huge is because I think Kalen is a pretty good family man and his daughter, um, is a dynamic softball player and she's committed to Heather Tarr to play at the University of Washington. And that's one of the best softball programs in the country without a doubt. Um, and she's committed and she wants to play there. And again, it's one of the top programs in the country, having his daughter there and just that close to campus and her having the games up on campus for Kaylin to be able to just walk down the way and go to those games. And, you know, family's going to come to those games. So I think that being here with his daughter coming here is also going to allow him a lot more family time. And I think that's a big appeal to him. And you can blame his daughter for um, committing to maybe getting a little bit of that contract extension. I don't, I mean, I, I think it's naive to think that just because, his daughter is going to play softball Washington that that couldn't change his, his status on where he goes. I mean, if there's another school, I mean, if he was dead set on wanting to go back to the Midwest and Nebraska threw an absolute truckload of money at him, could I see him have gone to a place like Nebraska? Absolutely. Um, I think Washington would have matched whatever Nebraska could have paid. I don't, I don't think that there's a question. I don't think money's ever been an issue on that score. So I don't think that would have been the problem, but I think it just depends on what his what he what his wants would have been, yeah. whether he wanted to get close to the Midwest and, and really lay the roots down there or be out here on the West Coast. The fact that he came out to Fresno, guys, to me tells me that there's something about the West Coast that he enjoys, whether it's a little bit more laid back, those kinds maybe it's not as as college football crazy focused so he can have some more work-life balance that coach Pete was looking for. Maybe that's it. Yep. So I, you know, I, I the fact that Alexis is going to be playing softball at Washington. Yes. That helps a lot. There's no it helps doubt. A lot. Helps a it, lot. It, it, it there's no, ton. there's no question. There's a tie there. I don't think it's a deal breaker. If he, if he was thinking about going somewhere else, all it does is it just gives one more, uh, check mark in the plus column when he's looking at Washington. Let's get into some of the specifics. It looks like he's going to get a million one increase next year. 
Well, he goes from he basically gets a million dollar uh, bump. So he'll be making four. He would have made three point two next year. He'll be making four point two. And then it keeps going up by hundred thousand dollar increments. So by the end of the contract in 2028, he'll be making four point seven million dollars. And I know a lot of Washington fans are out there saying that's a heck of a deal for Washington. And it is if he makes it through this whole contract. But as we understand these things, I mean, he didn't even make it through a year in his first contract before it got extended. So I would be surprised if this current extension that he just got yesterday would last more than a couple of years. You have if to, in fact, they continue to win. Do you have the contract in front of you, Chris? I do. To, there's also a clause in there that they can raise that at any time. Did you see that clause? Yeah. Basically, it just says it's up to the discretion of the school. The school can bump him at any time they want, and they don't even have to tell him. They can just do it, but they can't obviously decrease it. So, I right. mean, they so he can only go up. He can't go down. And then the other interesting part of this, which I had never really seen in another head coach's either initial contract or an extension, is what they call a longevity payment. Is what At least that's what they're calling it in the contract itself. What that is, is that that's basically rewarding him for sticking around. So if he makes it through like March, mid-March of 2024, they're going to get they basically just cut him a check for five hundred thousand. They'll cut him another $500,000 check if he does it two years after that. And if he makes it through the entire contract, 2028, they're going to give him a million dollars. So in essence, what they're doing is they're escalating so that he can get up to $2 million extra dollars just by sticking around. So that's another way to supplement his contract without having to just bump up the base salary. And, it, your- and, and, allow, and, it, and it basically gives him incentive to stick. What's your longevity bonus, Scott? When remember you tried to quit on us one time? What was your longevity bonus? Uh, I think it was I had to pick up your laundry. I can't yeah, remember, like but yeah, they, I mean, I mean, it's it just it's so funny to think that Kalen DeBoer is a multimillionaire because he just does not have that air, that aura about him. Um, he, he's such a down to earth guy. Um, I walked up to him and he was, he had been talking to somebody else and I, I accidentally kind of just bumped in. We kind of bumped shoulders cause we kind of turned and he was like, Oh man, I'm so sorry. And he goes, hey, how are you doing, Scott? What are you doing? I mean, I just don't remember. I I've always been treated well by Sark, by, by, um, by Peterson, by even by Jimmy Lake when he was here, I was always treated well by those guys, but not the same way. He's just, he's got such a different air about him. And Yes, I think money is obviously important to him, but I don't think it's his next payday is what he's looking for. He's you don't looking think he's a for, you don't think he's a bling guy? No, I don't. I don't think he's a guy who who would look at the USC job and say I want to take that job. I and this is nothing against USC. It's a great job and there's a lot of resources there. But I think he's a guy who just likes the Seattle the, the Seattle lifestyle, how it's kind of laid back, kind of hey chill and but Washington is still a very important program up in this up in this area. And I think that's, that's really big. I think what Scott was referring to is there has always been kind of this wall and, and whether it was Sark or Pete or Lake there, it was always, it was dependent on how transparent that wall was, but there was always the feeling of a little bit of a barrier between the head coach and the media. And it feels like there's literally no wall between. He'll come up to you and talk to them. He'll come talk to you in the middle of practice. 
Yeah, it, I've never seen a, a head coach here at Washington where he's not scheduled to talk to the reporters, right? And yet he'll come by if he's coming through the tunnel. He'll actually come by to to say, "Hey, what's going on? What's 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 the happening? What's what's the latest? What's going on?" And and he'll talk to us off the record about some things. And so it's just it's really good to kind of build that that friendship and that relationship with the media. And I think to Scott's point about just him enjoying the Seattle lifestyle and enjoying the area and how laid back it is. I just think I get the sense that he can walk into a store and even if people know him, they won't be afraid to necessarily go up to him or say hi. But also in this part of the world, that's not necessarily something that we do unless we know someone really well. And I just think that that's something that he probably appreciates and he's not going to, he's not going to feel weird or awkward when people, when he just goes to the store or needs to go do something, because I just think that the air that he has and, and how he carries himself, it's just very easy going. And he just well, doesn't put on a lot of, there's not a lot of pretense there. Well, with coach Pete, one of the things that really bothered him was when he was back in Boise, he couldn't go out. I mean, he yeah. just couldn't go out. I mean, it's not that big of a town. If he wanted to go out to dinner, I mean, Pete was a rock star. He was an absolute rock star in a small, small uh, fish pond in Boise. When he came here to Seattle, he could kind of blend in a lot better and he could go out and people didn't bug him. But part of that, he's just kind of an unassuming looking guy. He throws on a baseball hat. Nobody knows him. DeBoer may not be able to get away with that because I don't know if people haven't met Kalen DeBoer. He's not a small dude. He kind of sticks out a little bit. He's a big dude. What is he about? Six, three, six, four. I don't know if he's that tall. I'd, I'd say he's probably six two, six three, but he doesn't. But he doesn't put on. I mean, he just doesn't. He, let's put it this way: if if you didn't know him walking down the street, you wouldn't assume he's a football coach. He just it just doesn't strike that. That he doesn't give me that type of vibe. Like when yeah. when I see him, you know, and there's I, some there's some coaches where that's real evident. I just don't. I've never seen that with him. And Scott, he just looks like him and Coach Pete. Um, have a tight bond already. They just seem a lot, a lot of similarities and uh, a lot of mutual respect there. And it looks like Kalen's really interested in what Pete has created. Yeah. I, I don't see how you can't be. I mean, he created a, a really good program here at Washington and, and a lot of people thought Jimmy Lake would continue that. And in some ways he did, but you know, it, it was time for change. Kalen DeBoer comes in and I think he saw a lot of the infrastructure that was put up by Chris Peterson and pretty much, I don't know what, how many guys from the, uh, I think what probably, you know, like 35, 40% of the team played under Chris Peterson at one point or another. And, and so um, I, I just, I think it's huge for, for him to have all that infrastructure and, and want to run things a lot of the same way that Chris Peterson did. It's all about family. It's all about keeping things inside and working things out in behind closed doors, not out in the open like some parents like to do on Twitter. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I just, I think that he's, uh, he's real big on this being a family. We treat each other like a family and we treat each other with respect. And, and that's a lot of things that Chris Peterson preached. And and Scott, one of the things that's been brought to my attention by several former players, a lot of coaches put lip service to having former players involved. Uh, Kalen DeBoer said he would have former players involved from the get go. And he has speaking with, um, you know, Hugh Millen, for example, Hugh said that out of everybody that he's ever seen at University of Washington, uh, Coach DeMore is more inclusive with former players than any other coach here. 
always had guys come in and talk to the talk to the players. Um, um, Lawyer Malloy has come in. Jordan Reffitt has voiced stuff on, um, you know, on, you know, for their uh, voiceovers for their video, their weekly videos. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing the Apple Cup one. I'm wondering who they're going to get. Uh, is it going to be Miles Gaskin? Is it going to be some of these other guys that have had great careers in the Apple Cup? Because I think Miles Gaskin is the is the um, top running back ever in the Apple Cup with the most yards gained in his career, um, which would make sense since he started on it for four years. But I mean, he's just had a lot of different a lot of different guys come in and and be part of the program and. And I remember, uh, I think it was the spring and summer when they, when like weekly, they would post a, a picture on Twitter of the coaching staff meeting with one of the, one of the old players that had come in to talk to the, 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 uh, the program. And, and, you know, it, it's just, he has been very inclusive. And a lot of the players have said they, they love the feeling that they get when they come back. And it's got something unusual that uh, Galen DeBoer uh, did this year for Apple Cup. We haven't had players available Apple Cup week for a while with fear that they may say something dumb. And boy, the leading candidate to do something like that, you had a chance to talk to in uh, Jackson Kirkland. Did Jackson dump anything? No, he didn't. Actually, it was Romo Dunsey who did. But uh, Jackson Kirkland, you know, when I spoke to him and uh, he's just he's so fired up. He's so ready to go. And, and he, he really he's ne- he had never lost to Washington State in his career. And then he loses the last year's game, and that really had put a bad taste in his mouth. And and I think I, I obviously think Washington wanted to beat Oregon this year, but the two the two games that Washington wants to win every year, if they're not going to win any other games. It's Oregon and Washington State, and they've already taken care of business on one end. But the Washington State one really sticks in Washington's craw because of the way that Washington State celebrated on their field. Now I understand why Washington State celebrated like they did last year. They haven't beaten Washington in eight years. So I get why why the celebration happened. But that was very disrespectful to the Huskies, and they are taking it that way. They said that's not the reason we're so motivated to go out and play. But we are it's make no mistake, it's a motivation for us to get back out there and get this this Apple Cup back. So Romo Dunsey though had the quote. He said, Yeah, I heard it's kind of rowdy there, even though they only have thirty thousand people in their stadium. <laughs> so yeah. I thought that was pretty funny, but, but yeah, none of the players said anything other than, Hey, we, we thought it was disrespectful what they did last year. Hey, Chris, one of the things that I find interesting as well is when you take a look at Kalen DeBoer's career, especially over at Sioux Falls, um, he had some undefeated season there as national championships and, you know, years with one or two losses. And you always worry about uh, games like Oregon, such a big wind as them having a fall off. That didn't happen uh, last week against Colorado. Um, was it Coach uh, Grubb said that their Thursday practice was probably the best practice they had all year? So it sure seems to me like, you know, going into this rivalry game, Kalen DeBoer has been there, done that, and knows how to keep guys up because he sure did it at South Dakota. That's why I'm expecting a pretty good game and there not to be a lot of fall off this week. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, too, because I was taking a look. I really think there's only four players on the entire team that actually have experience with playing over in Pullman because the last time Washington played in Pullman was the snow game in 2018 because remember the 2020 game got canceled because of COVID. And so they have not been able to get back to Martin stadium since then, since 18. So I think you've got, you've got Jackson Kirkland, Henry Benavalu, uh, Peyton Henry and Alex Cook. I think those are the only four that would have had a chance to play in that game. That's it. 
I mean, that, there's really hardly no. This is a brand new team that has never experienced a snowball, has never experienced Pullman, has never experienced what it's like over there at Washington State playing against the Cougars. So this is going to be a really interesting experience, and I'm wondering how much of the experience they had at Oregon a couple weeks ago is going to really inform how they attack and and go up in a another kind of new environment because none of the coaches that I'm aware of, maybe outside of Brechterfield, may have uh, either played or coached uh, in Hus- in um, in Martin Stadium in Pullman. So I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see how they attack this. See, I didn't get a chance to talk to Kalen about this, Coach DeBoer. I shouldn't be calling him Kalen, but uh, Coach DeBoer, I- I'm just a big believer in that if both teams designated one smack talker during Apple Cup week, that uh, the rivalry would be much better. I know Chris doesn't agree with me, but I think it'd be a lot more fun, Scott, just designate one guy to talk smack on each side. Uh, okay. I, I, I've never been one for the smack talk, so it's just not my not my thing. But if it makes it more fun, great. I don't know. It doesn't make it more fun for me. <laughs> All right. Uh, they, didn't really, they didn't really talk a lot of smack before the Oregon game, and that was pretty fun, right? So, I don't know. It's always fun when you win. Still lots going on, especially in recruiting. Washington's quarterback commit, Lincoln Keenholz. He's visiting Ohio State this weekend. What does that mean? And more when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are back. I'm Kim Grenolds along with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Scott, quarterback recruiting, Lincoln Keenholz, the South Dakota quarterback who was kind of flying under the radar, and all of a sudden he got an offer from Washington committed, and then his stock started going through the roof. Give us an update on what's going on with Lincoln Keenholz. Well, um, I mean, as it kind of broke on the boards, he's taking a visit to Ohio State this weekend for their annual grudge match with um, the school up north <laughs> is what they call it, uh, but M- Michigan is coming to the horseshoe, and Lincoln Keenholz is going to be there. Doesn't have an offer from uh, Ohio State, but I think that's just a matter of <clears throat> a matter of time. I think it happens this weekend, and and, uh, he, and so Lincoln kind of told me I did an interview. I'm one of the few people who've actually been able to interview him recently, and uh, unless you are a local person, and. When he talked to me, he just I he said that Ohio State had been sniffing around and talking to him, came out to visit him for one of his games, watched one of his games in person and all that kind of stuff. And he said, and I said, so if Ohio State offers, are you still committed to Washington or is are are you gonna flip? And he goes, <clears throat> he goes, I'm not necessarily gonna flip, but he said if they offer me, it's hard not to look at it because it's Ohio State. And and he he just said, you know, they, they've got such a reputation and they play in the Big Ten and it's still the Midwest and it's not hard for his parents to get over to Lincoln apparent or I'm sorry, over to uh over to Columbus. So um I think <clears throat> I think Husky fans should be concerned about this because it does not look very good for Washington at this point, but we'll just have to wait and see. 
Just got to tell people about what got the ball rolling with the quarterback they had committed. They've got another commitment for 2024. Get into that a little bit. Well, they had a, a kid committed to them. I, I, I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, but he had he's from Tennessee and he was a high four star kid and he decided to take a trip to Florida State and flip to them. And uh, when that happened, that's when they got real hot, hot and heavy with um, Lincoln, Lincoln Keenholz. And then they have um, a kid by the name of Riola that, uh, that's committed to them, number one quarterback in the entire country for next year. And so a lot of people are wondering why Keenholz would want to go to Ohio State when they've got the number one quarterback coming in behind him the following year. Well, let's just put it this way. Why did Quinn Ewers go to Texas when they had already looked like they were going to get Arch Manning? And now Arch Manning is actually looking around. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what Keenholz is thinking. I think Washington presents him a great, much better opportunity to come in and play. Um, but um, you know, he, he'd redshirt this year and, and probably in 2023, and then probably have two or three years to play at the University of Washington. And, and he might not get that at, at Ohio State. But, you know, you don't get to the level that Keenholz has gotten to without a little bit of an ego and thinking that, hey, I'm, I'm confident in my abilities. And I think if I get in there and I get the coaching that they're going to give me, I'll be able to play. But if I don't get to play if Riola is the real deal, then in a year and a half, two years, I can put my name in the portal and find a new place to play. So this, the portal situation has really changed the dynamics of, of quarterback recruiting because there's only one quarterback allowed on the field at one time. Well, I shouldn't say that. You can put multiple ones, but there's only one quarterback that really plays at one time. <clears throat> and the thing is, you know, these guys aren't going to be patient They and they know they can put their name in the portal and go find a place somewhere else. So even if Washington got Keenholz to sign with them, who's to say he's going to be at the University of Washington in two years? Because what if Sam Heward becomes the guy we all think he could be or Dylan Morris has has becomes the guy that we, we that we all thought he could be coming out of high school. And those guys come and now Keenholz is going to have to wait two or three more years. Before he is able to, before he's able to see the field, does he get a wait around? No, he's not. So, you know, it having a four star in your depth as the number three guy is great, but it it in today's college football, that's just not going to happen on a regular basis. Definitely something to keep an eye on, and um, we'll see what happens. I, I'm guessing if something happens with him, it would be relatively quick, and the longer it goes. Um, probably the better off for University of Washington. And if Keenholz does decide to flip, what happens, Scott? What does it mean? Well, it means that Washington is either going to be scrambling for a quarterback commit uh, to get them in the boat. You know, there is still going to be uh, two visit weekends that they're going to be able to bring guys in on. The first weekend and second weekend of December are big weekends for recruiting this late in the process and and you can expect Washington to go after. I know they're already talking to some guys who are committed to other schools. Most of them are Pac-12 guys, but they are they have been reaching out to different guys. Washington could also just opt to go into the portal. Um you know, the the mid-year signing period happens on the 21st, but um I saw I can't remember who put it out. It might have been Steve Wilfong that put something out there, but he said if you're a high school kid and you're planning to commit to a school, I would recommend doing it before the 4th of December, because on the 5th of December, that's when uh, current players in college football 
can put their name into the transfer portal. And if you're a kid who waits too long, the spot that they had open for you might just go to a kid who's going to be a transfer and has more experience, is bigger, is older, all those different things. And you might not have a spot. So um, we could see a flurry of guys commit, but we could also see uh, like Lincoln Keenholds, if he ends up, if he ends up going, uh, you know, not committing right away to Ohio State and coming out to Washington for one of these visit weekends, I think it bodes well for Washington. But um, if he doesn't do that, Washington is still going to be able to reach out to some guys, possibly bring him in during the um, mid-year signing, you know, before the mid-year signing period, or there is always January. If there's some quarterbacks who don't end up signing um, with schools, and even if they're committed, although I don't know why they would wait, but if they did wait until January or until the first week of February, Washington could still be on those guys. So I think a lot's going to happen here. I mean, I, I thought it was going to be relatively dead on the recruiting front, except for possibly some commits to Washington. But now with Keenholz possibly flipping to Ohio State, things are going to be really topsy-turvy here, um, you know, at least at that position, the most important position on the field uh, here over the next couple of weeks. Any other uh, updates on recruiting we need to know about, Scott? Um, not a ton. I mean, I put up a blog on Monday with kind of kind of mapping some stuff out. But, um, you know, I, I really think that that Washington's possibly going to add two or three more guys um, that are that are kids that they like. Uh, Channing Canada, the cornerback out of Trinity uh, Valley, uh, the, the Juco kid uh, came up last weekend and I think he really enjoyed his time. He's got a couple more visits. He and I are scheduled to talk uh, the week before um, signing day. So we'll hopefully have an idea where he's headed. Uh, Caleb Presley is still out there. That's a kid that Washington's doing really well with. Um, there is the possibility they could try and go after Jabari Johnson out of Lincoln. He's the quarterback that's committed to Missouri. Bush Hamden is the quarterback coach out there. And, um, you know, Washington could opt to go after him. I just don't think they're going to, but there's that possibility. But, um, you know, there's going to be some movement. And uh, so it's, it's behoove you, it would behoove you guys to be on the recruiting board because I'll be doing uh, recruiting updates on a regular basis uh, also, during those two weeks. Also, the JC running back? Yeah, the Juco running back, Mike Franklin. He's a guy to keep an eye on, too. He's working on setting up his official visit. He said he thought it would be for the first weekend of December. Uh, he had committed publicly on Twitter and then took it down. It's because he had to go through some uh, – NCAA clearinghouse stuff, but I think he's got a lot of that taken care of. And I think Washington wants to get a look at him and everything like that. I think, I think there's a good chance he ends up being a part of this class. He would be the second running back in the class behind Tybo Rogers. Um, but he's a big kid. He's 6'2, 225, pretty good running back for Contra Costa in Northern California. He's from Louisiana and uh, signed with, I think, I want to say as some, I think it was an FCS school out of college and uh, didn't make it the grades. So he went to Contra Costa and had spent the last two years in at Contra Costa. Scott with um, Wayne Talapapa leaving and um, I'm expecting at least one running back to enter the transfer portal. If they take the uh, Mike Franklin, I still anticipate them looking to the portal to bring in another back. I, I It's hard for me to see it if they take Franklin, but we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Obviously, a lot of it's going to depend on which players go into the portal. I mean, we can speculate on Aaron Dumas possibly transferring out. Is Will Nixon happy? I don't know. Is JV on Sunday happy? He's got a daughter back in Texas. 
So I don't know. I, a lot of it just kind of depends on, on where things go with some of these guys. Because right now, Cam Davis comes back. Uh, Richard Newton should be coming back, although he might want to be in the fe- in a feature role somewhere. So he could look to leave too. But I, Cam Davis is coming back. I'd be shocked if he didn't. And Sam Adams looks to be increasing his yeah. role. Yeah, he has been. Um, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see on him. But the coaches do like his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield, although he did have that one glaring drop against uh, Oregon. But, you know, he's been pretty consistent for them, and they've, they've been showing him off here and there during during games in the second half of the season. Chris Fetters, wrap it up for us. Yeah, I actually have a quick question. Um, Scott, how many how many scholarship quarterbacks do you think are going to be on the roster for 2023? Uh, minimum three, probably four, though. So there's a potential they could even go to the portal twice. They may not even get go a high school guy. Well, that could be the case. Or what if um, what if uh, Dylan Morris or Sam Heward decide to leave? I mean, they're 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 going to want somebody in there for depth at the very least. Yeah. So, okay. So yeah. Yeah. I just I just think that uh, you know just in terms of that the recruiting is it's just. It's musical chairs at this point of the year, guys. It just is what it is. So if if you're a fan and you get really enamored with certain guys, I'd, I'd resist the urge because the, the chances are there's probably schools going after them, just like Washington's going after other committed guys. It's no holes barred. Um, I know we took some black guys uh, in the last year or two when we were saying last year was going to be a real season where guys were going to flip. Apparently, we were a year ahead of schedule. There's going to be a lot of flips that are going on um, starting now. And if, if a guy like Lincoln Keenholz ends up flipping to Ohio State, yeah, it's disappointing for Washington because he sure looked like he had a lot of potential. You just hope that the the player and his parents have, have done the due diligence and gone through the, the process the right way so they don't end up going back into the portal a year later because they made a mistake. That's the only thing you can really, really hope for. Uh, and that would go for any player, honestly, that goes through this process. So you hope that they've done uh, all, the, all the education for themselves and have checked everything out thoroughly before making these kinds of decisions, because these are life decisions. And yes, I understand when you have the free transfer, uh, that cushions the blow a little bit. But I don't think anybody goes into recruiting, signing with a school thinking, oh, well, I've got the free transfer. That's no big deal at all, because these transfers aren't easy. It's like we go back to the very beginning of this podcast, guys, and we were talking about Lincoln, uh, Keelan DeBoer wanting to settle down and 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 put some roots down, and because people don't want to, tr- you know, they don't want to move three or four times in five years. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. It's um, it doesn't help. It doesn't really create uh, the continuity that you're looking for in a college experience. So unfortunately, we're going into that that time of year where there's a lot of a flux and there's a lot of guys moving pieces and hopefully the the Washington coaches have done their due diligence in recruiting as well as the way that they've approached things on the field because on the field they've been extremely successful. I don't see them having any problems uh, attracting a top quarterback prospect or even a couple top quarterback prospects, whether it's through the high school ranks, through the portal, what have you. I, I don't think that's going to be a problem whatsoever. I do think that Washington fans should rest pretty easy on that score but for the rest of it we'll just see how it all shakes out scott Eklund, wrap it up yeah uh like you said like you said when you started this uh segment kim you know it seemed like it was going to be kind of quiet and then all of a sudden things kind of break loose so um yeah you're just going to have to stay tuned and see how things map out but um washington's going to be fine um the, the transfer portal definitely 
uh, gives them more options than they would have had uh, even three years ago. Um, so Washington will be just fine. Um, I think they'll go out and they'll find a quarterback that they can uh, use for next year and, and possibly even keep Keenholz. I'm not I'm not 100% sold that he's gone, but I think it's going to be tough. So, um, you know, just keep it tuned here. I think uh, getting Kalen DeBoer locked up definitely is huge. It's weird for me that after one year, um, you give him a, a big extension, but, um, you know, he's earned it. And it's hard to it's hard to argue against him getting that. Now he needs to go out and perform, though, because when you make as you told me, Kim, when I got my raise, hey, it's not like you can just continue to do what you did. You, you're expected to do more <laughs> when we pay you more. So, you know, that's just how life is. And the fans are going to expect more. And uh, I sure hope he can deliver because I really, really enjoy uh, dealing with Kalen DeBoer in the year that we've dealt with him. Anything else to add, Chris? No, just that uh, I, I, I'm not surprised that the timing of the thing, like I talked about earlier, I think when you see these kind of coaching carousel rumors come out, what's the easiest way to quash it? Um, just go out and sign a new contract. That's how you do that. I mean, you could go the Lane Kiffin route, but as we all know, Kalen DeBoer is not Lane Kiffin when it comes to Twitter and social networks. I mean, that's certainly one way to do it if you want to do it. But, uh, you know, I just he's never been that guy and um, I, I wouldn't expect him to, to do it in that way. So for Jen Cohen to lock him down, that's just another uh, feather in her cap in terms of her ultimate legacy, because I don't I don't expect her to be around by the time this this contract is done. I do expect if if um, if Kalen DeBoer continues to trend upwards and continues to do things the right way this contract will become moot in a couple of years and they'll extend him in 2024 or whatever. And there will be a continuation of these things. Cause that's just kind of, that's just kind of the world we're living in now, guys that, uh, you know, I mean, Kalen DeBoer is going to make 4.2 million this year. And what's David Shaw making this year, like $9 million yeah. a year. So it's, it's uh it's just kind of a topsy turvy world, but you pay what the market will bear and, uh, right now, everybody's really bullish on, on Kalen DeBoer, and they have every reason to be so. Props to the uh, athletic department <clears throat> up at UW yesterday. It was kind of funny when the when the rumors started flying about uh, him going, you know, being on the list for Nebraska. You know, I sent a text out asking if DeBoer was going to make a statement, you know, regarding the Nebraska stuff that was being floated out there, because I figured, you know, if he did, that would speak volumes, and if he was quiet, it might say something as well. Well, after I sent that text, about 20 minutes later, I, we got notification of the uh, contract extension. So we got that. And so I sent a text, you know, asking if we could get the details on the contract. He said, check your inbox. And it was already sent. So uh, they were on top of it. And thanks. By the way, the first signature on that contract was on November 21st. So that gives you an idea of the timeline in which they were working. Hey, can I can I ask a question? Do you guys think that the, and I know that the, the first signature happened before his name started getting floated out there but you know it might have been out there in back channels do you think this was washington locking him up because of the rumors do you think this this got started because of those rumors jen cohen is sharper than a lot of people give her credit for and going into the coaching carousel stuff i think that she's well aware she's got a list in her desk drawer and i'm sure that um I am sure that maybe some schools had possibly reached out through the back channels to seek permission to talk with Kalen. 
And I'm sure that's been on her mind ever since, uh, you know, the Michigan State game. When you talk about coaches, we've been here. Lambright was the coach when um, we first started Dogman.com. And when you think about all the hires that have been made since then, stop and think about every coach that's been hired since then. You know, Chris Peterson was a great fit, but this hire of Kalen DeBoer just seems like fitting like a snug glove. I mean, this is it just seems like the perfect fit for Washington. It also seems like the perfect fit for Kalen DeBoer, even maybe more so than Chris Peterson. Because I, I think all of us agreed that Pete wasn't going to be here for 20 years. He wasn't going to be one of those guys that coached until he was 65. I could see Kalen DeBoer being a 20-year coach here. So I just think that it's such a good fit. And just, you know, getting the extension, I think, is just huge. And um, just a reminder, we're running our biggest promo of the year right now, 75% off. We do it once a year. And that's off your yearly subscription. And uh, it's going to be a busy couple of weeks uh, in ahead. So uh, if you're thinking about subscribing, if you're on the fence, no better time than right now to subscribe to dogman.com with the Black Friday special at 75% off. So anyways, hey, thanks, guys, for everything. And for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Reynolds, along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs.